Hey everyone, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Carol Ann Flood, and I'm the worship director here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life, or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by His Word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in Him. Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day, everybody. If you're watching with us online, happy Father's Day to you as well. If you are a father or if you had a father, um, it's it's just a great day to be together and to celebrate. Um, I don't know. Did you guys even notice our worship team all in honor of Father's Day dressed up like their dads? Did you did anybody catch that? Um, they were, we were talking about that, you know, my, I wanted to dress up in tidy whities and an undershirt in honor of my dad's favorite outfit, but they wouldn't let me do that. So, uh, you might want to thank the worship team on their way out for that, for sparing you. Uh, but today we are proceeding on with this series where we're talking about spiritual disciplines for this entire summer and, and spiritual disciplines are different ways in which we deepen our relationship with God and which we care for the most important part of ourselves, which is our soul. And so today we are talking about the spiritual discipline of fasting. Yes, on Father's Day, the day where I will inevitably eat a brat, a burger, and a hot dog, we are going to talk about the spiritual discipline of fasting. Uh, And I thought to get us started today, uh, you know, uh, talking about fathers and Father's Day and fasting, um, there's a lot of like bad examples of fathers out there, right? It seems almost like fathers are like the butt of the joke, you know, on sitcoms and on Netflix shows and everything. And so what I want to do is I want to just show you this video clip. It's less than a minute long, very short. And um, this is, this is a, you know, this is an example of a good father. Let's start out with like an example of, of a father that's doing something good, or at least this is a moment that happened at a Phillies baseball game a few years ago, Major League Baseball game. It's a moment that happened between a father and his daughter. Let's check this out. He does go after him there. Delivers a fastball. A shot to the upper deck. Caught by that fan right there. Nice grab. <laughs> Oh, wow. Oh, there it goes. <laughs> well, she's only doing what she sees them do all yeah. the time, and that is to throw the ball back on the field. But you know when that happens, the parent is never able to catch them before no. they end up doing it. And there's a whole host of fans underneath that gentleman right there who are looking for another souvenir. Boy, he just missed that ball as he fouls that ball. Oh, nice grab. She says, well, let me have it. Let me have it, Dad. Thanks. Well, here it goes. That little girl is going to be looking for a baseball. (laughs) I love that because it's such a great moment because in that moment, all the cameras, all national TV, all eyes are on this dad. And the question is, how is he going to respond, right? Like, what's he going to do when she throws that ball back, just chucks away this souvenir? And he gets it right, right? He, he gets it right. The kid is more important than the ball. And I love that because in that moment, uh, in front of everyone, her relationship with her father was revealed, Right? We got this little snapshot, this little moment, that, that moment with that ball where she gets that, that and throws it away, revealed the relationship that she has with her father. She has something way more valuable than a foul ball at a major league baseball game. She's got a father who loves her. 
and who cares about her. So, so why are we talking about fasting on Father's Day? Here's why. It's because fasting, I would say more than any other of the spiritual disciplines that we're going to talk about this summer, fasting reveals the relationship we have with our Heavenly Father. Fasting is a moment, it's, it's a snapshot that reveals the relationship with our Heavenly Father because it raises the question, who is really providing for my needs? Who, who is really the one on the throne? Who's the one who's really taking care of me? Now, traditional fasting, biblical fasting, if you will, uh, is all about food. So it's, it's when you pick a period of time and you deny yourself food for a specific period of time in order to draw closer to God and your relationship with him. But really, you can fast from anything. You can take this idea, this spiritual discipline of fasting, and you can apply it to any area of your life. I actually made a list here. You can apply it to exercise. Some of you have been fasting for exercise for, for years. Um, Netflix, social media. Uh, you can fast from alcohol uh, for a period of time. You can fast from speaking. Some of you, if your kids would just fast from speaking on Father's Day, it would be the best gift in the world, right? I'm just kidding. Uh, sugar, caffeine, you, you can fast from your iPhone. So, so really, you can fast from anything, but the way we're going to be talking about it this morning, we're going to focus specifically on what it means to fast from food uh, for a period of time in order to deny yourself and draw closer to God, because that's the way the Bible really speaks of it. That's the way that the Bible and the spiritual discipline of fasting really talks about. So if you were to go to Meyer right now, and you were to go to the checkout lane of Meyer, this is the image that you would be greeted with. It's sort of this combination of these two conflicting messages, and we see it in our world all the time. Uh, first of all, you have all these magazines with these perfectly sculpted celebrities, right? Chris Hemsworth with his 12-pack abs, I'm sure photoshopped, you know, to, to perfection. You've got J-Lo who doesn't look like she's aged since she was 25, and so we look at these pictures of these people that are put right in front of us and we say, I want that. I want to look like that person. A diet culture in our world says you're nothing unless you can look like that, like those people and conform to that body image. But at the same time, the other image you're greeted with is this like array, this unbelievable amount of choices of salty, sugary, junk food snacks, empty calories you can just fill yourself up with. It'll leave you, you know, full in the moment, but, you know, uh, feeling bad about yourself later. And, and so we have these, like, conflicting relationships uh, with food. In a sense, as Americans, I would just say as people in the West in general, we have a very unhealthy relationship with food and with body image and with the way that, that food impacts us and, uh, and that we have it in our lives. And as a result of that, I would say even in the church, even in, as Christians in our culture, in our time, uh, fasting is hardly practiced by anybody. Fasting, I would say, is maybe the most neglected of all the spiritual disciplines. And yet, did you know that there are actually more verses in the Bible about fasting than there are about prayer? In, in other words, fasting is actually talked about more in the Bible than prayer, and yet, if I were to, to do, have you raise your hand, I won't do this, but if I were to have you raise your hand and say, how many people have fasted in this room, there'd be only a few hands that would go up, but all, all of us pray, right? Or, or at least even in this service, we've spent time praying. So praying is something we do all the time. Fasting is something, I think because of our unhealthy uh, relationship with food, it's something that a lot of people just going to say, no, nah, it's not for me. I'm, not, I'm just not going to engage with that. 
But fasting is a major spiritual discipline that God intended to help us grow in our relationship with Jesus. It it was supposed to be something that helped us and that was a regular part of our lives. And really, fasting comes out of this story of the children of Israel, God's children, in this time of 40 years wandering in the wilderness. So that's really where the, the concept of the spiritual discipline of fasting begins. Israel is freed by God from years of slavery in Egypt. And then they have this 40-year period of time where they're wandering in the desert, where food is scarce, before they can get to the promised land. And during that time, that 40 years of wandering, they begin to complain, they begin to grumble about their situation to Moses and to Aaron. Let's take a look at this. This is Exodus 16. This is, uh, this, is this moment. The Israelites, said, the Israelites said to them, Moses and Aaron, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt... There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. What's amazing to me about this moment as Israel is complaining, it is literally they would rather be slaves in Egypt and have all the food and the provision they could, they could ever want. They would rather have that than be free people who have to depend on God every single day for their needs to be met. And so what God does in this moment is he puts them to a test. And so he creates, it's called manna. That's the the name for it that you find in the scriptures. But they refer to it as bread from heaven. Uh, God provides this this manna, this bread from heaven every single day. And there was only enough that they could collect it just for that day. It would only be good for one day. And so the message was, I'm going to test you. And you're going to have to learn how to depend on me every single day for this daily amount of bread. Jesus later, when he taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's prayer, he said, give us this day our daily bread. It's a reference to this moment, Exodus 16, and the manna, the the bread from heaven that God would provide every single day. Now, what does this moment in Israel's history teach us about our relationship with our Heavenly Father? Because there's a truth here that it wasn't just for them. There's a truth here that still applies to us today. It's still true about our situation today. And this is what I would say. What it reveals about our relationship with our Heavenly Father is that we are at risk of doubting Him when we have too little provision. When we go through times of scarcity, when we go through a season where we have too little, where we're wondering where where provision is going to come from, our tendency, our temptation is to begin to doubt him. Scarcity over provision is a spiritual issue. Recession is a spiritual issue. Poverty And provision, those are spiritual issues. Because when we have a deficit in our lives, when we go through a time where where something isn't being met, where there's scarcity, it causes us to begin to doubt our Heavenly Father who provides for us. We we begin to doubt His goodness. We, We begin to doubt His plans, His purpose for us. We begin to doubt that our relationship with Him is actually enough to sustain us. And this is true of all of us. Uh, I have some good friends 
who uh, have been foster parents for years and years. In fact, right now they're in the process of adopting this uh, little boy who's been their foster son. But I remember when they had their first uh, foster placement, they were brand new as foster parents. They they told me this story. Uh, They had this beautiful little girl come to to live in their home with them. And they were new as foster parents. They didn't really know what to do with her. And so uh, they they would cook this giant meal every night for dinner, right? So the family would sit there and this little girl would sit at the dinner table with their family. And they'd have this big family meal together with all this food. And then later on that night, as they were putting her to bed, they would find like little piles of food, like hidden in places in her room. Like they'd find like a little pile of food, like behind the dresser or under the pillow, under her pillow, she would put uh, some food or under the bed. And it was, honestly, it was just kind of confusing. They, they started to realize what she was doing is as they were sitting there for dinner with their whole family, while they weren't looking, she was just taking some of the food and she was putting it in her pockets. And at first this was kind of funny, like, you know, the, the, they'd find this food, like it would start to stink. And it's like, what is she doing? Until they began to realize and understand the messaging, the, the distortion that was going on inside of her head. She had been uh, removed from a family where there was great food insecurity. But there was not enough to eat. And so for her, what, what she was doing sitting in this home where there's plenty of food, well, the distortion inside her head that she was believing was, I can't trust those who are providing for me. I, I don't know when my next meal is going to come from. Yeah, sure, it's here right now, but there might not be enough for me tomorrow. And so it's all on me. I've got to look out for myself. I've got to provide for myself. And so she was trying to hoard food because of the, the experience that she'd had in her life. The Israelites do the same thing. God says, I'm going to give you just enough bread from heaven for one day. They try to collect more. They try to collect a week's worth. They try to store it away in their house and it rots and it gets maggots. And God only gives them enough for each day to test them and help them to understand this is the relationship you have with me. I'm, I'm the one providing for you. You can trust me. You can count on me. Whatever the situation is coming, you can, you can rest in me and know that I'm going to provide for you. You and I have the same problem. We face the same temptation. Uh, Dr. Ann Haley uh, put together the, uh, some great work on what she calls core longings. These are six core needs that every single human being has uh, that we have to have met, not just physically. We, we all have physical needs and scarcity causes us to doubt, but also every human being has these six kind of key internal uh, needs that have to be met. And other people have made similar lists, but I, I love her, her understanding of this. Their purpose, love, understanding, security, belonging, and significance. And what happens is whenever we have a deficit in any one of these areas in our lives, we go on a search and we start to look to get that core longing, that core need met some other way through some means of our own, sometimes tragically, sometimes desperately. Take a look at this list. Just just leave that up there for a minute. Are any of these lighting up for you? Which one of these just sort of lights up? Maybe there's two, maybe there's three. Based on your family of origin, based on your history, maybe it's even based on something that's happening right now in your life, a a circumstance you're currently in. And here's what I, I would say. For most of us, if you look at your own broken sin patterns... If you look at like, what is, what is the temptation that you just keep falling for again and again and again? If you just look like the decisions you make 
that are so broken and lead to such pain that you keep making in your life, they, you could probably trace them back to whichever one of these is lighting up for you right now. There's a deficit in one of these areas. And what it causes you to do is to go on a search to try to meet that in your own need, to hoard your own ability to provide. And so th- this is a spiritual issue. Fasting is, is a time where we deny ourselves in order to remember God is the one who can ultimately satisfy. He's the one who can ultimately meet these needs. And the Israelites, they begin to doubt God during this time of scarcity where they don't know where their next meal is coming from. But strangely, that's only half of their story. If you go forward to the end of the 40 years of Israel's story, wandering in the desert, on like the eve before they're about to head into the promised land, the promised land is described in the Bible as a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a place of abundance where they're going to have their own land, their own ability to make crops and to harvest and to, to provide food for themselves. And God wants to give them this gift of going into this land. But in Deuteronomy 8, this speech that Moses is giving to the people, and it's God speaking to his people, the children of Israel, through Moses, there is this warning. They say, you've been wandering. You've been depending on me day after day after day for your daily bread. He said, but you're about to go into this time of prosperity. Look at the warning God gives the people. This is Deuteronomy 8, verse 9. It's a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It is a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is abundant in the hills. When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I am giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, And when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do you see what's going on? You have this nation of people who literally have been depending on God. Can you imagine a nation that comes from a place of, of slavery and then uh, you know, obscurity and scarcity in the wilderness and finally they, they have this time of abundance and prosperity where all their needs are met, where they're in a land where they have more than what they could ever possibly imagine and in that moment this entire nation begins to forget God who made it possible for them? Can you imagine a nation like that? And what happens if it's true that we begin to doubt God when we're times of scarcity where provision is lacking, what does this moment in Israel's history tell us about our relationship with our Heavenly Father? I would say, if you want to go ahead to the next slide, it teaches us that we are at risk of forgetting Him when we have too much provision. If we're at risk of doubting Him when we have too little, we're at risk of forgetting all about Him. When we come to times in our lives where we have too much, we become self-reliant, we become proud, we become unable to see the needs of others that maybe God is calling us to give to and to meet. We become reliant on ourselves or the stock market or a job or an education or whatever. And so just like scarcity and recession and poverty, just like those are spiritual issues, abundance Prosperity 
having more provision than what you need, those are also spiritual issues. Because our tendency in those seasons of life is to forget all about God and to walk away and to provide for ourselves. So fasting, what fasting does is out of the history of Israel, it became one of the key spiritual disciplines that by the time of Jesus, everybody practiced because fasting centers you back on God as your provider. It it reestablishes your faith and trust in him during times of scarcity and it cuts all the ties uh, from, from yourself, providing for yourself and reminds you who God is in your life during times of abundance and prosperity. Now, you have to understand this. Fasting, if you decide to try spa- fasting as a spiritual discipline, the, the point of fasting is not to improve yourself. It's not to better yourself. The point of fasting is not to lose weight. Oh, that's a great side benefit of it. I, I, you know, but like I'll hear people say things like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting too fat. Like I need to go fast. I have a time of fasting or whatever. The, the point of fasting is not to lose weight. It's not to better yourself. The point of fasting is to uh, break the dependence that you have on these other things that you rely on to provide for yourself and to meet your, uh, your needs and to reestablish dependence on God as your heavenly father providing for your needs. So if you get nothing else out of this sermon, if you write nothing else down from this sermon, this is the main idea I want you to get. The goal of fasting is not a better self, but a surrendered life. The goal, the whole reason why we fast, it's not a better self to lose weight or to improve ourselves. It's to have a surrendered life. Surrender is essential to our relationship with God as our heavenly father. And fasting is essential to surrender. I'm going to say that again. Surrender is essential to the relationship that we have with our heavenly father, where we surrender everything to him. But fasting is essential for surrender to happen in our lives. It's interesting is as you go forward into the New Testament, there's so many places where Jesus addresses the subject of fasting. I mean, he talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about how to fast and how you should be fasting. There's another place where uh, he casts out a demon and his disciples are asking about it. And he says, well, this, this one only comes out by prayer and fasting. And there's so many places we could go to to look at where Jesus talks about fasting. It was a regular part of his life. It was a regular part of, of his disciples' life, fasting. It's one of the most neglected spiritual disciplines of our day. But as we look forward in the New Testament, the real place I want to just look at is Jesus actually has this moment where he speaks to the broken story, the broken history of Israel and the children of Israel's relationship with God in the desert and the provision. So what happens, it's in John chapter six. And what's going on is the crowd has gathered around Jesus again. And the crowd is basically crying out for another miracle. They want Jesus to provide bread. They want him to do a miracle again where, they, where he multiplies the loaves and the fishes and gives them more bread, gives them more food. And so they begin to have this, the crowd and Jesus begins to have this like callback conversation where they're calling back and remembering the story of Israel, their ancestors in the wilderness, in the desert. Take a look at this and look at what Jesus says. So they, the crowd, asked Jesus, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. That's Exodus 16. So the people are literally quoting to Jesus, Exodus 16, that passage we just read. And they're saying, Moses gave us, gave uh, bread from heaven. You're better than Moses, Jesus. You say, what are you going to do? What are you going to do for us? 
Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? They're having this callback conversation and they're saying, will you do the same thing? Will you do another miracle? Will you provide bread from heaven? And Jesus literally says to them, don't, don't you understand that bread from heaven, that manna, it was substitute bread. It was temporary bread. It was there for a moment and then you're gonna get hungry again. Every single day you need more of it and God has to provide more and more of it. And it's bread that won't last. It's bread that'll rot. It's bread that'll get maggots in. And Jesus says, don't you see that bread, the manna, it pointed to the true bread. It pointed to the real bread, the bread that won't satisfy, that will always satisfy, that won't leave you hungry again. The, the bread that is for all of eternity, the ultimate need, the, the answer under everything in your life, it's what you need most. And he says, it's me. I am the bread of life. I am the answer to the ultimate needs of all humanity. I am the bread that won't satisfy and all other substitute bread in your life points to your ultimate need for me, Jesus says. And God's provided it for you. On the cross, as Jesus gave up his life in the resurrection so that we could have new life, Jesus became the ultimate bread from heaven God sent down to ultimately satisfy. It's what everything else in your life points to. It's what every other thing that you've tried to satisfy your, your ultimate cravings, your ultimate longings for points to is your ultimate need for Jesus. And how could Jesus do that? How could he be the true bread? It's because Jesus went hungry so that you and I could be full, so that we could feast. Jesus was thirsty. On the cross, he says, I thirst so that we could have the fountain of true living water. Jesus sacrificed his life and died so that we could be brought in and we could have true full life in him. He says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. That's the gospel message. And so when we fast, what we're doing is we're reconnecting ourselves to that message and to Jesus as the one who ultimately satisfies so with each one of these messages, uh, what we've wanted to do is we, we want to give you some really practical ways of how to do this. So this week, if you decide, I want to actually try to take a day and fast, here's a couple of uh, pointers, and you can jot these down. Um, hopefully, again, this will just give you a really practical way to do it. First of all, pick a day. Pre-planning is the key to success. If you walk out of here and go, yeah, you know, I'm going to maybe try to fast one day this week. Yeah, it's not going to happen. But if you say, yes, on this day, uh, um, don't do it on Wednesday because that's Chick-fil-A food truck day. But... Um, here at Frontline, but uh, uh, pick a day this week and say, pre-plan and say, that's the day I'm going to do this. And the second thing is abstain from food. Now, that may seem pretty obvious, but some of you are going to call me and go like, can I have water? Is it okay to have water? Yes, you can drink water. And um, you can, it's okay to modify this if you have health issues or some reason. This is not about being legalistic or checking a box. Don't call me this week and say, your sermon put me in the hospital uh, because I abstain from food. Don't do that. If you need to modify it so you can, uh, you know, do this, the point is drawing, allowing your heart to be drawn back to Jesus. And then the third thing, and this is the most important thing, is redirect. In fact, if you do these first two things and you don't do this third thing, the, you might as well not fast. It's not worth it. 
But here's what you do. When the hunger pangs set in, when, you start, when your body starts to tell you that you're hungry, redirect that hunger toward Christ. We talked last week about meditating. Go to the word of God. Go and feast on the word of God. Uh, prayer, begin deepen in your prayer life with Jesus. Let your hunger, let that feeling of being hungry drive you to draw near to Jesus. Redirect those longings to him. And I, and I found when I do that, whenever I, I'm fasting and I, I allow myself to be, to redirect those, those hunger pangs to God, what happens is uh, my relationship with him becomes deeper. I beca- become more aware of his presence in my life and what he's doing all around me. I want to close by uh, reminding you of a moment in our past at Frontline Church. I feel like that's one of the most important things I do these days is just remind us of the different times and the different ways that God has moved in our history so we don't forget that. In 2018, uh, we were told here at the church that we that our roof was basically failing and that we needed a brand new roof. There were leaks all over the place. And if you're watching online, uh, we're, in a, we're in a large old Meyer office building and the roof is, is very large. And so uh, we began to get some quotes and everything and what people, we got multiple quotes, quotes where we were told, you need a new roof and you need it right now. And the cost is gonna be $500,000. Now to be very clear, we did not have $500,000 as a church at that time. And so immediately that put me into this place of panic. And I, I literally began to just go, okay, I gotta come up with a plan. I'm the leader of this church. I need to come up with some kind of a plan. I gotta fix this. You know, I've come from all this long background of leadership training, all these things, you know, everything rises and falls in the leader, speed of the leader, speed of the team. I could just quote them all off to you. And so what I did is I, I came up with this plan. I worked really hard on it for a three-year capital campaign to raise to come to you guys as the church and to raise $500,000 over the course of three years to, to be able to pay for the roof and put on a new roof for this building. I even had a really great name for it. I'm not gonna tell you what it is, but I had this great plan and I felt like that's, that's my job. I gotta come up with this plan. So I brought this plan to the leadership team, said, hey, our roof is failing. We gotta replace it. It's $500,000. Here's the capital campaign. Here's the plan. That meeting did not go well. <laughs> It's a guy on our leadership team. I'm so grateful that he's been in my life and, and been on our team for years. And I just remember he just said, have we as a church just sought God yet on this? Like if we brought this to the church and just sought God together on how he would have us respond? I was so convicted in that meeting in that moment because it was the first time I realized in that meeting, I hadn't even prayed about it yet. I mean, personally, like I, as soon as I heard the news, I went right into like planning mode and coming up with this capital campaign for, I hadn't even prayed about it. And so out of that time, what we decided to do, some of you remember this in 2018, we decided to, to bring the need before you and then to enter into 40 days of prayer and fasting as a church. Just out of curiosity, how many of you were here during that time in 2018? Yeah, a bunch of you. It was one of the most spiritually intense and powerful times in our church, God moves so powerfully in so many people's lives. We just said, hey, will you pray? Will you fast? We asked you to give up, all of you to give up something for 40 days and to pray and to fast with us. And we said, pray and fast for the roof, but also pray and fast about anything that just feels too big in your life. And what's amazing is that this summer, I don't know, some of you may have seen uh, the, the flags on the roof or some of the work being done. We just replaced the first section of our roof this summer. It just got replaced right over this building. And we didn't have to do a capital campaign. We didn't have to ask you for money at all. We never asked you for money. God provided all of it. And 
That's amazing. And praise God. I, I'm so thankful. Like when we fasted, when we prayed and we sought him, he had a plan and he provided. He always provides. But there's something way bigger. The thing I want to draw your attention to and that I have perspective on now, it's, it's been a few years, is how many lives were impacted by that time of 40 days of prayer and fasting? I still hear about it. A couple weeks ago, a guy came to me and said, hey, you remember that 40 days of prayer and fasting? I said, yeah, I remember that. He said, that was when God began to heal our marriage. I've heard it all. Remember that 40 days? Yeah, I that was when God began to set me free from the addiction. It's when my recovery journey began. Remember that, that 40 days? That was when my, my kids started to turn and come back. And what, I, what I've begun to realize years later is, yeah, I mean, it's awesome that a roof got put on and God, God met our need when we came to him. But what he wanted to do, what I think God actually wanted to do during those 40 days had to do with you, his children, his church. He wanted you to come to him. The roof was just the thing. It was just the mechanism. It was just the vehicle to get us to seek him. But when we sought him, I think God, what he wanted during that time was all the breakthroughs, all the spiritual movement that he did in your life. In, in our, so many lives, so many families in our church during that period of time, that's what it was really about. I think that's how it is with God. I think God literally sits back and he looks at us and he looks at us munching on our substitute bread. You know, for me, a substitute bread at that time was like a leadership plan, a capital campaign. I think also often God looks at us and we're just kind of munching on whatever that substitute bread is, whatever we're running to, to kind of fit that, that core longing. And he just says, you have no idea how much I love you as your father. You have no idea what I'm capable of. You have no idea the relationship that you have with me. Like that little girl throwing the baseball back. He's like, I, you have no idea what you've got. You have no idea what I want to provide. It's so much better than that. If you'll just set that aside and just come to me and seek me. And so Jesus, we just come to you right now. We come to you afresh we acknowledge and we turn away from the substitute bread of our lives. And we recognize that every longing that we have, every unfulfilled need we had in our, have in our lives that we're trying to desperately meet in our own power is simply there to point us to our ultimate need that can only be satisfied in you. So we come to you. We repent of the ways in which we turn to it. God, would you show us, even lay on our hearts, if, if we need to spend some time fasting this week, so that we can reestablish our dependence on you. God, we, all this, you know, the news and the, and the, the grumbling that we're here in our world right now that we're entering back into a, a recession, possibly there's a bear market, there's, you know, inflation, all these things. God, we can walk into these kind of times with boldness and with faith and with assurance, knowing that you are more than capable of providing every single day, our daily bread, what we need from you. So we come to you for it. We don't freak out and go other places. We come to you. We come to our relationship with you, the rock that we've built our lives on. So Jesus, would you establish us in you as we seek you, as we fast, as we draw near to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Everybody said. We 
We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in Him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com forward slash connect. We look forward to connecting with you there, and we'll see you back here next week.